Welcome to the workshop. I am Joanne, a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this session. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. There are three speakers for 20 minutes each, um, followed by um, 15 minutes of open pitches, and then we'll finish up with 15 minutes of questions and answers. The session is being taped, so you will need to sign the tape release when you are sharing. Please turn off all cell phones for the duration of the meeting, and remember that it is against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. The topic for this session is Stairway to Heaven, Steps 10, 11, and 12. And our first speaker is Jerry. Hi, my name is Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I love the title of this workshop, which is The Stairway to Heaven, because that's exactly what these steps are because it's the only way we can keep abstinent and keep in a relationship with God. Um, I'm thinking of continue to take personal inventory. I've been abstinent for 30 years, over 30 years now, and it's something that I have had to do day after day, just like this book that I used to read. It's called Chop Wood, Carry Water, and it has to be every day, every single day, every single night, I take personal inventory. And how I do it is I... Um, do a list of, it used to be, it's not so much now, but I used to do a list of all the people I hated that day, and uh, God, and, and telling God to forgive them because I couldn't. Uh, and then I do my gratitude list for all the good things that happened to me, and uh, because I'm, I, I could not forgive them, but God, God could, and he can. And now my list has gotten to, um, I look at my character defects. Where have I been at fault? And then I do my gratitude list. But um, as an example, um, you know, at work, it's the end of the year, and I did a, a, a spot check inventory of um, how this year could have been better, because I'm a teacher, and how this year could have been better, because it was the most difficult teaching year for us, not just me, but other teachers, too. So... Um, the gossip, you know, and so I had to look at my part in it, that I gossip because I want to be part of the crowd, and uh, I'm afraid that if I don't gossip along with everyone else, I'm going to be left out, and I don't like that. I'm afraid, and so bottom line is that I'm afraid, and I'm afraid of being left out. So that's how I've been working my 10-step. That's the latest discovery about my character defects and how they affect me. And then what could I do instead? I thought, what would I do if I didn't gossip? Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what would I do when I go back, you know, since I don't want to gossip? Well, there's plenty of pot. It could work. Um, you know, there's plenty of other things that I can do besides gossiping uh, because it's never positive. And I remember what uh, my, one of my first sponsors told me was that, is it kind? Is it, um, what was the other thing? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it true? And I remember when I first came in the program, and I only had my own small-knit family, and we could gossip about each other as long as it was true, you know. And the other stuff, the necessary or whether it was kind or not, didn't matter. As long as it was true, but it's the truth, so it's not gossip. 
Well, you know, if it's not positive, there, you know, I don't have to say that. I don't have to go on and on about someone. Um, so I don't know. Um, so I have to ask God to help remove that defect. And, you know, I turned 60 in May, and um, I had a big birthday party. And as I looked at there was 50 people that came. And I think, you know, if I ever feel sorry for myself, or if I think I'm a leftover and that people don't like me, you know, why don't I just look back at my birthday? Because there were a lot of people there, and we danced, and we had a good time. And it was an abstinent birthday. Um, one of the people at work who I gossip with, um, I don't know if this has anything to do with, but um, she said, Jerry, you have to have a cake. And I said, I don't want a cake. I said, that's stupid. I don't eat that stuff. I just don't want a cake. Okay, I'm going to have all this other Mexican food and all this other abstinent stuff. I don't need to have a cake. She goes, no, you have to have a cake. And she really got insulted because she wanted to buy the cake. And um, instead, I had uh, my cousin bought a great big fruit basket. I don't know if anyone has ever seen these. And they were gorgeous and they were beautiful. And it was better. And you know what? We didn't have to have a cake to have a good time. Everybody had a good time, and we didn't have to celebrate with a cake. Um, so anyway, that's um, just where, I, where, I, where I'm coming from. Uh, and this is where I am today. Continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, there's someone that decided that I hurt their feelings about two months ago. And I love this person a lot. And um, actually, I love this person, you know, more than anyone, almost. Um, well, almost, because I have two daughters. <laughs> Trying not breaking anybody here. Um, anyway, I had to apologize because somewhere along the line, I was trying to manipulate. I was trying to manipulate this person into doing what I wanted them to do, and they balked, and um, they didn't like it, and it was harmful to that person. So I had to. It wasn't promptly. I had to wait till she told me because I didn't know. Um, but uh, so I had to apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't have to wallow in the guilt, you know, but I can say I'm sorry, and that's one of the neatest things about the steps, is that no matter how many mistakes I make, that I can say that I'm sorry. Um, so that's, that's the tenth step. And then thought through prayer and meditation. Uh, throughout these 30 years, there's been different ways that I've meditated. Uh, I remember at the beginning, uh, the AA, we didn't have our own meditation books. We didn't, we didn't even have the OA book. Uh, we had uh, what I used for a meditation kind of a book was the 24 hours a day, the AA 24 hours a day. And I remember reading that each morning and then thinking about it, sitting there for about 15 minutes. And so that's how I first started to meditate. And I never really thought I was doing it right. And you know what? Then I read somewhere in one of the books um, that there's no right way as long as we do something. And throughout the years, my meditation has changed drastically. Um, you know, I, uh, for a while it was uh, Shirley MacLaine. Uh, for a while it was um, uh, what, just all kinds of different things. And um, then there's the formal meditation where I go to a temple and I meditate for with chanting. And um, that's that's a that's just you know just the thoughts are there. And um, I but but I have found that the the um, the most profound kind of meditation for me is a yoga meditation. That's when I really feel at one with God. Um, so, and, and um, I don't do it all the time. I do hardcore yoga where it's no meditation, just trying to breathe. Um, but this one, um, um, 
that's when I do feel the closest to God is when I'm doing yoga meditation. And now there's the other kind of meditation that I do, which is a mindful meditation. I'm just telling people the different ways to do meditation. There's no one right way. There's plenty of different ways, and I've discovered different ways, whatever draws me closer to God. But what I've been uh, doing um, is uh, mindful meditation, and that's really slow walking, mindful walking. And what I do is I, wa- I walk with my cat each morning in the, in the backyard. We live on a canyon, and uh, we've grown very close. And he doesn't go out in the canyon without me. And he waits and he walks right alongside with me. And it's just very, very beautiful to be walking out in the canyon with Puff. And that's my form of meditation today. And, of course, I do the formal stuff, too, when I, when I get a chance. Um, and then, let me see, that is um, Satsuri Prayer Meditation to improve our conscious contact of God as I understand God. This has given me so much freedom to seek a God of my understanding. When I grew up, I was a devout Catholic. Uh, and I remember going to Mass every single morning and um, uh, receiving communion every single morning. And for me, at that time, that was good. But I can't, I can't um, coming into this program gave me the, the freedom to choose a God of my understanding. And my God, just like my meditation, has changed also. My God started out with that one that I don't even know. I don't even know if I ever saw it. But it was some man up in the sky with this long beard. I have no idea how that concept got in my mind. But it was a punishing God. And it was a God that was waiting for me to make a mistake and was going to punish me for I don't know what. Um, And after I came in the program, my concept of God changed. And the first concept of God that I had in the program was a co- the concept of E.T., the extraterrestrial. I just had this, that's God, because it's about love, and that's what God is about. And um, God, my concept of God has changed. But what I have found, and, and now I find God in animals and in people, and, uh, but in the animals, when I see animals, uh, like a cat or a dog, and I look at their eyes, to me, this is God smiling at me and telling me that I'm okay. And that, that, that's what um, my concept of God is. It changes. And, um, you know, the, the steps have given me the freedom to find a God of my understanding. Not someone else's, not what they said, not what they do, but a God of my understanding. And I, can't, I cannot go back to the God of anyone else's understanding. I have to stay with the God that comes from deep within me, like it says in the big book, because it's only there that God may be found. And um, that's why this has given me a God of my understanding, and I am so grateful for that freedom, because I don't think that I would have the life I have today if it was not for the God, the kind of God that I need in my life. Um, and God talks to me, um, and, I, and I, you know, when I think of how God talks to me, I get this feeling, and um, there was a, a time when I was getting in this relationship, well, I was in this relationship, and, um, you know, after a couple of years, I knew I shouldn't be in it, and I, God was giving me that feeling, that feeling that I should be out of it, Mm-mm, I didn't listen, I didn't listen, and um, 
you know, so now I'm not, that, I'm not, I'm out of it. Thank God got me out of that situation. But at the time, God was telling me, and I could feel it, but I didn't listen. I didn't want to. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Um, but God does, does talk to me and talks to me through people. And actually, during that period of time, I didn't tell my sponsor because I know she would tell me probably what God was saying, and I didn't want to hear it. Um, um, and then when I talk about, like, that's what I'm trying to say, is praying for his knowledge, God's knowledge. And that's what I have to pray for today. Whatever God's, whatever, pray for his knowledge and for him to help me to what, through whatever I have to go through. Um, I, um, well, I've had these notes here and I can't see them. So I'm just turning cards. <laughs> so, so I had, you know, I, I went through this whole thing of this great big paper with all the, the step 10 and 11 and 12 and I did with all kinds of graphics with different colored pencils and, you know, this was in two days. And, um, um, and, and then I said, well, I'm not going to be able to sit up there, just stand up there with all these papers so I know I'll, re- I'll put this stuff on note cards. Well, you know, I don't want to put my glasses on because of my body image. So I um, just wanted to, um, so I'm just, you know, fiddling around here trying to see what I wrote. Um, when I came in the program, I was 30, and now I'm 60. Actually, no, I was 29. So I've been in the program longer than I have. Uh, I've been abstinent longer than I was, you know, you know do you understand what I'm trying to say? You, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm um, older in the program than I was when I first came in. And I can't believe that I was ever young. You know, when I first came in the program, I was 29. And now I'm 60. And um, when, I, when I think of, you know, 30 years in the program and the different ways that I've carried the message, I've done a lot of service. And uh, the different ways that I've carried the message is sponsorship. And uh, sponsorship um, through any conditions. Uh, for a while, I was going to Tijuana. It's down in Mexico by San Diego. And um, I was going to Tijuana and dancing. And I was sponsoring someone at 5.30 in the morning on Saturday. And, you know, I have to rush home from Tijuana to take that phone call. And uh, one time I didn't make it on time. And, you know, that person didn't like it because I wasn't there for that phone call. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's just something that the, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, sponsoring has always been number one. It's been, um, oh, is that all I have left? Five minutes? Oh, wow. Oh, God. I was so worried about how am I going to talk for 20 minutes. And, and uh, um, okay, well, let me see that. I'm trying to remember that graphic that I wrote. It had all kinds of neat things written on there, and now I can't remember them. On I hope remember them. I hope that's not a sign of being um, 60, because I've got at least another 20 years. Oh, I know. I was going to talk about spiritual, uh, a spiritual awakening, and how my spiritual awakening started. It started the minute I walked into my first OA meeting 30 years ago. I remember that feeling. There was a presence in the room, and I felt that. I didn't know what it was. I just knew there was something there. And I don't even remember what was said. I don't remember who was there. I just remember that there was a presence in this room. And I had belonged to TOPS for, I don't know, take off pounds sensibly, for about seven years before this time. And um, I would always go home and eat to celebrate, or to celebrate if I had lost, or to to, you know, start my diet later if I hadn't lost. 
Anyway, uh, coming to my first OA meeting, I didn't stop and I didn't I didn't have to eat on the way home. And the next morning, it was like it was just. I remember telling my husband at that time, telling him there was something different about this. There was just something different. And uh, I came, and after a couple of weeks, I got a sponsor, and. Um, I could not, and when I looked at that food plan, and at that time, it was a gray sheet. Um, for people that have been around a long time, they know what I'm talking about. It was a gray sheet. And um, I thought, well, I'm not the type to do that stuff. You know, other people, the weird people can do that weighing and measuring and all that stuff and eat that kind of food. But, you know, the sponsor said, try it. So I did. I don't even know where the, and I, I don't know, I bought that, and I used to stuff a lot, stuff those cups. And, you know, try, get on, I get on, I get like this, you know, so it would, you know, weigh more. Um, um, I, I'm only as honest as I need to be. And uh, I'm still only as honest as I need to be. Um, but anyway, um, I, and I said, you know, on diet pills and all that kind of stuff, I could only stay on a diet for three days. And then I was cheating. And I took diet pills from the time I was nine to the time I came into this program. And um, when I started, I said, well, I started, and after three days, I didn't get off the diet. Because to me at that time, it was still a diet. I didn't get off the diet, and then it turned into a week. And then that week turned into more and more weeks. And um, that was a spiritual experience for me, for me to not, to be able to stay on a diet for more than um, a few days was a miracle and I was doing it without diet pills and for me that was really um, uh, and I still have them in the cupboard in case just in case just in case the thought thing didn't work well it worked and I did throw them down down the commode um, when I was um, and that was a spiritual experience and you know what it's just as much an ex spiritual experience today for me to be abstaining for 30 years when I couldn't stay on a diet for more than three days, I mean, I still get the chills to know that it's not me. This program works. 30 years is not me. It is all by the power of God and people in the program. There is no way me could do it. Um, I have, um, uh, <clears throat> some people have asked me, well, how much time do you spend on that program? And, you know, she tried to, she said, well, you do this and you do that. And, uh, and I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's probably about 20 hours a week, 20 to 25 hours a week, depending if I'm in a group or whatever. Because um, uh, I, I sponsor, sponsor every day. And I go to a couple of meetings um, a week. And uh, I, I, every morning I pray and meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. And every night I write a letter to God, a thank you letter, and I always pray for my two daughters every single night. I pray that God find that they find God in their hearts, not not my way, their way, whatever way theirs is. Um, and so, and then you know, so it is about 20 to 25 hours of, that I put into this program. And uh, there's a person that says, "Oh, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound too exciting to them." Well, you know what? It's time that I love doing. It is good, meaningful time. Meditating, writing, reading the big book, reading our, our literature, 
all of these things. It is good quality time that I enjoy. It's not, it's not a negative thing. It is good quality time. You know, kind of like the food. The food is good quality time, and I really love the kind of food that I eat. Whereas before, it was all, I don't even remember what the food tasted like. It didn't have any taste. And I was always eating so much of it because I couldn't uh, get enough. I could, I could never get enough, and there was never enough. But abstinence, there's enough. And um, there's enough because I went and measure it, and I say, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> um, and so I will say, well, it says time is up. Thank you, all of you, for listening to me and for letting me do this service. Thank you, Jerry. Our next speaker is Lynn. Hi, everybody. My name is Lynn. I'm a real compulsive overeater. It's good to be here and uh, just really feel privileged to speak at, at any meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. It really is a privilege. And, and I'm really grateful, you know, by um, the grace of this program, the steps, and the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. I haven't had to pick up those substances that I used to eat one day at a time for three years and three months today. And that's just a miracle. It's a miracle for me. Um, being asked to speak on steps 10, 11, 12, you know, I'm so grateful to have these steps. You know, in the big book it says, after the promises of step 9, um, that for now the insanity will have left us. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but for me, you know, um, the monkey's off my back, but the circus is still in town, is what I just heard recently. And it's so, it's so like, resonated with me. That's <laughs> like, I'm a crazy woman. And I'm so grateful to have this program to apply my life to, and, and really this book. You know, there's not a problem I have today in my life that isn't addressed by the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and our OA literature, our OA 12 and 12. I'm just really grateful because I needed that good orderly direction. And I heard that early on. If you don't have a higher power of your own yet, you know, just think of God as good orderly direction. And I needed that even though that's the last thing I thought I needed. You know, it certainly wasn't what I wanted. And today I realize that oftentimes I don't know what my needs are versus my wants, and this program shows me. Um, so, you know, thinking about Step 10, I'm, I feel very blessed to have, when I did my four-step inventory, that be clued into the fact that now I know how to do Step 10. You know, I did a four-step inventory, so I had the tool in which to, uh, to persevere in, in this process of com- committing to do steps four through nine over and over again, you know, and, and perseverance um, had always been an issue for me. And I'll just step back real quick and qualify. Um, I have been in program for uh, three years and four months. I got abstinent after my first month coming to meetings. I do a weighed and measured food plan because I don't know what a portion looks like. So for me, it works. Um, I weigh in on a regular basis. I work with a sponsor, and I, I work with other women in this fellowship. I'm maintaining a weight loss of between 37 and 40 pounds. I've actually changed my food plan a little bit, so I'm getting down, I'm losing weight again, basically getting a little closer to maintenance than I had been before. Um, and, and for that, I'm really grateful. Um, so uh, perseverance. Um, you know, that, that, that for me, that underlying principle of step 10. And, and, you know, I always really wanted to show up for stuff, when I was out there eating, but the truth was that if I wasn't getting lots of applause or I didn't feel like a big rush out of it right away, I just was kind of great in the short run, but then fell off when it got monotonous, you know, and my experience with Step 10 is it never gets tiring, you know, I'm always so excited to be able to 
find a new defect or see one coming up and be able to say, oh, gosh, it's that one again. I thought I was ready to let it go. Um, and, and, you know, when I'm in enough pain to actually do a written, you know, I have a tendency not to write. I, I really thank my higher power for that spot check inventory. It gets me through my day many, many times. Um, and for that, you know, it, it's awesome to be able to put it in writing, share it with another compulsive overreader. Because when I think it's trivial or I shouldn't be bothering somebody with these things, I'm reminded of this wonderful things that I hear in meetings. Like, if I do that, I am a selfish compulsive overeater for not giving someone an opportunity to be in service. And it's that kind of like, you know, that's the thinking of recovery and solution, which is my thinking is I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, it's not going to sound glib, my sponsor's going to tell me to get over it. And that hasn't been my experience in Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I find love in these rooms. Um, so uh, working this, doing this inventory process, I do not find to be beating myself up. You know, I think people maybe from the outside looking in might go, you know, you're spending all the time working on yourself and you don't have any fun. And, and it's how I really get by. You know, I really, I enjoy it. And, um, and, and it was really important for me to, to really, again, be able to show up to myself because I didn't do that a lot when I was out there. I didn't know how to show up to myself and, 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 and subsequently being able to show up for other people, too. Um, so that's pretty much, you know, step one for me is it's really important. It says it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do. For food is a subtle foe. And I absolutely believe that, that if I let down on my spiritual program, you know, there will come a time when I become so restless, irritable, and discontented that food will take me up. That I will be so, you know, because I won't be turning to God for help. I'll be turning to something to change the way I, I think and the way I feel. And I don't want, I don't want that today. I don't want that. Um, you know, and the inventory process for me, too, and it kind of, kind of brings me into that spirituality of step 11 and, and seeking through prayer and meditation. Uh, when I was about a year abstinent, um, I had an opportunity to interview with a company, and I was so excited. I thought, this is God's will for me to have this job. You know, I really did. I thought, this is it. They're waving at me as I'm leaving the interview. You know, I'm like, I've got this job. And, um, and I didn't get it, you know. And it was, it was one of my first just real disappointments in recovery. And, and I was really like, what happened, you know, And because um, I was so convinced, you know. And today I know. I don't know what's good for me. I don't know what I need. God knows what I need. Within a, week, within a couple weeks of, of finding out that the job didn't come through, my mother was in a serious accident. And um, subsequently, I was exactly where I was supposed to be at that point, you know. I was at a job that I couldn't care less about. I was, like, showing up and doing what I needed to do. But at the drop of a hat, you know, I have to leave. You know, mom's not, you know, my mom was in the hospital, but I have to go. I have to go take care of mom and dad. And that's exactly where I needed to be. If I was at a place that it was new and I was trying to prove myself, I would like to think that I had the recovery to show up to mom and dad and, and the family. But, I, you know, I don't know. It was a tough. Uh, and, but as a result of this program and, and doing that inventory, you know, driving down 101, for any of the local folks, you know, driving down 101, picking up that telephone and calling other women in the program and saying, I think my dad's going to reverse the DNR. You know, I don't, I don't even know how I'm feeling, but I know I need to reach out. And, and the process of, you know, when there's a family member that's ill and, and the family members you're mad at. You know, I was mad at some of my relatives and their behavior. And to be able to say, you know, this is like so not Lynn in her own thinking. And that is, you know, I'm just worried about what they're thinking of me and how I'm handling this situation, you know, because it's all about me all the time. And I was able to lovingly let go of a lot of those negative emotions and just say, you know, just not about you right now, Lynn. You need to show up to what's going on and not make things worse. 
Because when I'm in my own thinking, like my solutions are worse than the problem. And that's totally been my experience when I wasn't in recovery. Um, so, you know, I was really uh, grateful to be able to be in recovery at that time in my life because I was able to be reaching out to God. And, and he lifted me up. You know, he brought me to my meetings. He brought me exactly where I needed to go. I would be, and you know, he kept me out of the food. God kept me, that's the time when it says there will come a time. And I was just a mess emotionally, you know, and, and I just was able to just hang on to God. Say, I can't, you know, I'd go to pass out at night, literally exhausted and, and upset, and say, you take it. I can't, I can't even deal with it right now. And so I'm really grateful for that. And trying to be able to get into that praying, and I do a lot of praying. I pray during the day. I try to hit my knees every morning. Thank God for another opportunity to be abstinent and show up to my life. And um, that is a real blessing because I didn't used to do things like that. Uh, prayer was for, like, please get me out of this one and I won't do it again. That's kind of been my mode of, of prayer. And, you know, really to develop a relationship with God, he was just waiting for me all those years, you know, for me to turn and say, I can't. Um, another thing I've heard that so relates to me, you know, let go or be dragged, you know. And that's, I need to hear stuff like that because I'll be hanging on to that stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to, you know, just let go. Um, but it's so awesome to be able to develop that relationship with a higher power that, you know, I need that relationship. Um, and in terms of meditation, you know, I shared earlier at our spirituality meeting that, you know, I was always the one in a group that had their one eye open to see who else had their eye open because how could anybody possibly, like, clear their mind for more than 20 seconds? You know, I always have, like, I'm either spinning on what people are thinking of me or making a to-do list in my mind. And, you know, I'm really pleased to say that it has gotten better. You know, it's one of those things I don't have to do perfectly. I just have to keep showing up to it and be willing to take the time. You know, just a little quiet time that I can clear my mind and, and let some of God's direction, which I need, um, into my life. And then I do believe God brings people into my life when I'm praying for guidance and I, I get people coming into my life. I'm like, why is this person in my life? You know, um, and that's when God brings people in to give me those, what I call, uh, subtle commands but disguised as suggestions, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, I, I just, I couldn't have come up with that on my own. And that's why, you know, I know there's a higher power because Lynn on her own thinking is just, you know, it was futile. My, my best thinking around food was futile, you know, and then when I got abstinent and realized my best thinking around a lot of things was futile. And, and Lynn running on Lynn is like my car running on fumes. So, um, so I, I need to keep doing that. I need to be quiet. I need to do some writing because I'll, I'll be ambushed by my emotions, you know. And, and I, I, you know, try to give suggestions only or, you know, give ideas of what I do to meditate. And, and I, we've heard already about mindfulness meditation, which is really helpful to me because I did find that I cruise through life not really noticing what I was doing. And to be able to, whatever I'm doing, be mindful of it is really a gift to myself. But it's also a gift to those people that, that I have in my life. Because I spent a lot of time doing this with people, you know, doing the big nod, and not listening to a word they said. You know, I was all in my own head. And, and really to be present for somebody is, is such a gift for me because I'm having things in my life and people in my life that I just blocked off before. So it's just awesome. Um, and there's, for me, too, breathing meditation. Because I actually forget to breathe. I don't know if I've breathed since I started talking. Um, um, so... It's really neat to be able to do that, you know, breathing in. And I was just sharing at lunch, there's a particular meditation. I like this breathing in, I feel like or I am a flower. Breathing in, I'm a flower. And then breathing out, I feel fresh. And I just, I love that one. It's a little hokey, but I mean, just substitute whatever, but being conscious of breathing because, you know, I'm just not a conscious person if left on my own devices. Um, 
So, you know, just to give an idea, again, of perseverance, I was one of those people that, you know, I did the things I liked to do for as long as I liked to do them, and then I gave them up. And, you know, today in recovery, I do realize, you know, this feels good. I'll keep doing it. You know, I keep doing this because it feels good. Um, and so I, I do realize that I, I need to keep doing that inventory, feeling good, moving forward, developing, you know, not just maintaining my relationship with a higher power, but actually, you know, strengthening it, asking God's will for me. And I, I shared earlier with my friends, and I shared, you know, I think I win, need to win lotto. That's my best thinking, you know. It's like I need, and if I could be so much more spiritual if I didn't have to work, that's Lynn's best thinking. And, and you know, that's, that's the kind of thinking for me that had me eating by the light of the refrigerator, you know, and, and not being asked, being able to ask for help, you know, and just be like, I have to figure it out all on my own. And, and it, in this book, it's so awesome how it's spelled out so clearly how I get to live my life today, and it's a joy. Um, so I guess moving, you know, just moving on to step 12, which is such a huge step. It's like there's three separate things in step 12. And I think that's, I look and I think, wow, Bill was so smart, you know. He didn't just have, like, three more steps for step 12 because I might have backed out. You know, I needed to have 12 for whatever reason. And um, to, firstly, having that spiritual awakening. You know, I, I mean, I'm able to do today with God's help that I was unable to do three years and three months ago, and that is not eat those substances that I ate over and over again and thought this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to eat that thing like a gentlewoman. You know, this time I'm not going to be begging my husband for forgiveness because I couldn't put it down. Or my behavior, um, you know, with my relationships and, and thinking if I could just change them, then I'd feel okay. If only they would love me more. If you had a job like mine, you'd eat like this too. If you had a husband like mine, who, by the way, is the man of my dreams and a great guy, you'd eat too. And I ate at him. I ate at him. And, and I'm, you know, today I get to make that living amends. And when I find myself behaving in that same kind of needy, um, overly dependent, um, you know, behavior, I get to make a change. You're not just an I'm sorry. Because for me, I used to be out there saying I'm sorry, and it, what it really meant was, don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me. Um, don't leave me, you know. But I, did, I didn't know how to change. And, and today I can know I'm doing the best I can with what I had. And, um, and I get to be that way with other people, too. And I do my inventory and I get to say, you know, yeah, I've been, I have, maybe I have been harmed. Maybe sometimes it's something that just really did come out of the blue. And instead of that, oh, yes, I know everybody's doing the best they can with what they have, which is my old condescending type of behavior, it's, and the best they had to work with was me. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. Um, so step 12, you know, that spiritual awakening, I'm so grateful for that. I can't even, I know how it works, but it's just amazing to me that it actually could happen to me. I feel very blessed. I know that not everybody gets that. Thank you. Um, I also, you know, um, in terms of carrying the message, um, tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters. And, you know, the service, that willingness to, to work with others is so important for me in my sobriety, excuse me, my abstinence. Well, you know, abstinence, sobriety, soundness of mind, you know. Um, but I, I love in, in Dr. Bob's story, he, says he, he spends a lot of time, says, I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. Firstly, a sense of duty. Two, it is a pleasure. Three, because in so in doing so, I am paying my debt to the man who took the time to pass it to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. 
And that, you know, that sums up my, you know, my sponsoring other people. I, I feel it's a real privilege for me to, win, to work with women in Overeaters Anonymous. I just, I feel like how can, I can't keep what I can't give, what I'm not willing to give away. It shows me how to show up to my life and show up to other people's lives. Um, for me, too, it's really, you know, connecting with another woman. You know, when I was out there eating, if you were a woman that had what I wanted, I just hated you. I had no concept how to ask another woman, like, you seem successful. How are you achieving it? You know, and if you weren't, like, willing to share with me, I just did the nod, you know, and, like, didn't listen to a word you said. So I'm so grateful to have been shown by another, you know, person in this program how to work the steps. And, and then be willing to pass that along. Um, I absolutely believe that we have a common malady, but what keeps me coming back to Overeaters Anonymous is the common solution. You know, we have the steps of this program to show me how to live one day at a time without the food, and, and it's so huge. You know, it's so huge for me to be able to get up today and not be planning my binge, because Saturdays for me were huge in that. That's what I was going to do every Saturday. I planned those things. Um, and so, and practice these principles in all our affairs. And, and, you know, I was thinking about how I was going to approach the share today, and I have my list of, you know, honesty is step one, and, and hope is step two. And that's absolutely true. And I could look at my, you know, how I'm looking at my life each day and say, was I honest today? Did I have hope, you know, that certain things will pass? Have I turned it over? And, and that's, you know, that's a great way for me to approach practicing these principles in all our affairs, but also the way I can approach it is, you know, am I powerless over people, places, and things? Absolutely. Particularly people. <laughs> and, you know, am I insane to think that I can control them somehow? Certainly not by eating, because I used to do that for years, you know, thinking I could control that stuff. And, and, yeah, I am. And am I willing to let God come in and relieve that insanity, you know? And today I am. And so I, I have these great tools of, of doing life, you know, and I share a lot, but I used to think you guys all got the memo on how to live, and I was the only one winging it, and I really felt that way. I never grew up, you know, because I was always putting substances in my body to change the way I thought and felt, and today, you know, I don't have to do that. It's such a wonderful gift. I feel very blessed to have this program, and one day at a time, I don't need to pick up those foods, you know, anymore to change, because I feel too good to do that. Um, I guess just to round it out, you know, I, I think... For me, an experience that happened, you know, about a year, let's say about a year and a half ago, is that I, and I never thought it would happen, and this kind of, for me, how this program works, when my mother was, had, did have her accident and was passing away, um, I got to do those internal spot check inventories. I got to reach out to my sponsor and my sponsees, who I would say lifted me up during that time, listen to the people God brought into my life for whatever reason, you know, he brought his wisdom through people at school, work, and in the program. And also, in terms of meditation, you know, spend time with my mother. Be as present for her as I'd ever been for anybody in my life. And the last, I was actually with her when she died and in the hospital room. And I remember she was breathing, and her breathing uh, started to slow down. They knew she was going to pass, and that's why we were there. And, you know, to do a meditation on somebody else's breathing, too. You know, to watch her breathing and watch her take her last breath and then realize it was her last breath. You know, the next breath didn't come. Um, you know, it was a very sad time for me, and it's just been two years on June 23rd. But I realized, you know, in that period of time, you know, God carried me through that completely. Like, that wasn't Lynn doing that. God brought me to her. God let me show up every day to her and not be putting things, you know, putting food in my, in my face so that I wouldn't have to feel it. And as a result, you know, I got to go to her hospital bed and be with her when in her passing work out, you know, do the, all the funeral stuff that my dad was unwilling to do, all that stuff. 
and then a year later, you know, graduate from college, you know, with honors and include my dad and stuff that I wouldn't have included with him if my mom hadn't passed. And I, I'm not one of those, like, trying to look on the bright side kind of people, but, you know, it's just the truth. If my mom had been alive, I think I would have been more focused on how things should have been and how the party should have been. And, everything. and instead, it was like I hung on to my dad and really included him. And that's the beauty of this program. And by not picking up the food one day at a time, you know, I get to show up to a life that isn't always rosy. You know, it, is, it has some sad times and some really wonderful, awesome times. But I get to live life on life's terms, and, and God won't give me more than I can't handle. I absolutely believe that today. And, um, and I'll tell you, at my mom's funeral, the ladies of the guild had a, a, a thing for her with food and stuff. And I gave my plate to my husband and said, you know what I need. Would you mind getting me a plate? You know, and it was so awesome to have that support, women from the fellowship were there, and that was such encouragement, too, because I'll tell you, the people that I that I was out pigging out with, they weren't there. You know what I mean? It's the women in the fellowship and my, you know, people who were there to support just me. That is, is was amazing to me. So, again, I'm really grateful for this program, and I'll just wrap it up with, with something that I, you know, it means a lot to me in this one story. It's a story um, that's called... Freedom from Bondage, which, if you haven't already read it, it's an awesome story in the AA Big Book. It says, um, I get everything I need in Overeaters Anonymous, and everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ann. Our third speaker is Amy. Hi, I'm Amy, a compulsive overeater, and taller than the other two speakers. Okay, and um, I just have to say that um, those are two wonderful shares, and it's an honor to be on a panel with such wonderful recovery. Um, so I have been in program for 20 years, 20 years in one month, or 20 years in two weeks, and abstinent for 20 years by the grace of God, and. Um, I am, um, when I first picked what the topic was going to be, and it was steps 10, 11, and 12, later on, a few weeks later, we received, like, what the program was, and it said it was the stairway to heaven. And I have to say, it's the stairway to heaven on earth, because I feel like the first nine steps were about cleaning up the wreckage of my past so that I could walk down the street and hold my head high and know that I was okay and that I wouldn't be afraid to meet whoever I knew from my past or came across. And then you come to steps 10 and 11 and 12, and they're often referred to as the maintenance steps. And um, I don't actually like the word maintenance, because maintenance reminds me of Weight Watchers. And um, I'm a failure at Weight Watchers and Lean Line. Um, but it is, they're to me like the living steps, the steps that I need to live in today. But when I go through them, um, I find that I'm actually working steps 1 through 9 in steps 10, 11, and 12. And um, um, the other really great thing about um, being asked to speak on steps is I got to do my own personal step study. And so I read, and I would strongly encourage anyone here who's really interested in steps 10, 11, and 12 to go back to your OA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions and your AA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And you will find that in reading those steps, this is what I found, that number one, I 
was able to do spot check inventory just by reading those things. Oh, hmm, have I been selfish? Have I been dishonest? Is there resentment or fear? All of a sudden it was like, wow, I was doing a spot check inventory on my day. And the way Step 11 is written, and they're so different in each, in, in each of those books, but it was such a spiritual experience just to read Step 11 that it was like, I can meditate on these words and go into a place of um, calmness and peace of mind just in reading the literature about doing meditation. And for Step 12, and I'm going to read a little portion of Step 12, it was like, um, in the big book, and Lynn brought this up, in the big book it talks about um, the promises of this program, which is written after step nine and prior to step ten. So I was kind of wondering, is that a limbo? Is that like step nine and a half? Um, and it goes hand in hand, though, because in step twelve, what I really got to, what I got to experience again by reading about step twelve, and what I then get to say, how does this apply to my life, is see that all the promises of this program you know, can and will come true, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they will always materialize if we work for them. And I found it extremely powerful to um, be asked to speak on these um, three steps. So um, how I see step 10 is, um, so I, I talked about these three steps as like, they're the steps of today. They're, they're the steps that I need to do today. So um, step 10 talks about continually. There's a continually need to clean house, right? So we have to um, take a look at our day, take stock of our day, and then when we're wrong, promptly admit that. So it's sort of like I have to do four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Okay. Then step 11 uses the word nurture, nurturing my relationship with my higher power. And I figure any relationship worth having with my family, with friends, with a pet, and certainly with my higher power, is worthy of my attention to nurture it. Um, and nurturing to me is sort of something I need to do in the present. It's something I need to do today um, to maintain a relationship. I have to put a lot of energy around it. And then step 12, the multifaceted step 12. Um, first, having had the spiritual awakening, um, first acknowledging the spiritual awakening, but the present tense of carrying the message uh, to those, you know, people who still suffer in and outside the program and to practice the principles in all my affairs, which basically says to me, I need to carry this message not just to compulsive overeaters, but I need to be a channel of my higher power in all areas of my life. So, um, so on the one hand, it's a lot of work, and yet on the other hand, it's like this really spiritual, nurturing, continual thing that I get to do so that I don't have to go back to where I came from. And since I really don't want to ever have to go back to the suffering, misery, and depression that I so was living in for 19 years of my life, um, I um, need to do these things to take care of myself. So how, how it works for me. So for step 10, when I first got, when I did my first step 10, you know, for the first time I went through the steps with a sponsor, I thought there is no way I'm going to be able to write a daily inventory. That was a huge commitment to me, you know, and then I reminded myself, well, I haven't eaten compulsively a day at a time. Maybe perhaps I could look at doing a 10th step as a day at a time activity. Hey, listen, I may not do it tomorrow, but just for today, just for today, maybe I can take a look at what my days look like. And whether I do that, I, I tend to do it at the end of the day, but that can also be 
a problem because I get really tired. And it also can be something I do during the day. So one thing that I find very helpful, especially um, for if you're somebody who's not willing to write, is when I was writing out, when I write out my food at night, and I also write out some basic gratitudes of miracles of my life every night, since the pencil or the pen is already in my hand, I figure that's a good time to write out any other thing that might come up. And when I was reading through the steps, and of course, every time I read through them, it's like, I didn't see this before. When did they put that in? Um, they talk about a disturbance. They talk about disturbances. I really like that. It was sort of like dis-ease, disturbance. Are there disturbances I noticed in my day? And for me, the disturbances come, and it ties right into my seventh step, which is into my four basic categories of character defects, which are fear, having high expectations of people, my own self, uh, self sense of worthlessness, and sort of ego and false pride. You know, I have a huge need to be right. And um, so I find that if I look at those things, so I'm actually able to take step seven and say, okay, here are the character, the shortcomings I'd like to have removed. Hmm, they did pop up their ugly heads today. Um, now what, what do I need to do about them? Um, I frequently um, use the format I used for the fourth step, which I took out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I write out the resentment and who it was and what it affected, and then I write what my part is in it. Um, when I'm dealing with character defects, I frequently refer back to what I did for steps six and seven. Character defects come up. What is it that I'm getting out of them? Um, how is it hurting me? How did it hurt others? And I always look at, and I always have to remind myself that sometimes I am so bought into those character defects in the inventory that I forget what does it look like if I did it differently. So I, have, I happen to have a seven-step plan. It has my main character defects, and then I write the opposites. And then under each opposite are like ten bullet points of how, what I can do to live in a place of humility, acceptance, love, faith, um, and I use that as my guide, and I use that for my 10th step. Now, if you think that every single night I write something that looks like that, you'd be wrong, <laughs> because I'm a mother of two small children, and frequently I'm very tired at night. So what I do is I use my radar for disturbances, and I think that's, such a, that's exactly how it feels to me. So sometimes things will happen during the day, and like things with my kids. And over the past couple of weeks, I have acted in a way that I feel is unbecoming of me. Just, I don't like how I've acted with my kids. My son, who's five and a half, likes to point out, it's not what she said, Mom, it's your tone. <laughs> You're five and a half. How do you know the word tone? And he does, and he gets it, and that lets me know that... Um, that I, need to, uh, that I need to take a look at myself, that I get to do spot check inventory. And last night, and he and I had a little, we were at each other, and then he came upstairs because he had hit me, and he came upstairs, and he put his arm, his arm on my back and rubbed my back a little, and he said, I'm sorry, Mommy. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, too. But I'm sorry isn't enough. So I needed to tell him why I was sorry. I said, you know, I'm sorry because you were right. Even though I was feeling angry, the way I spoke to you, was not a very nice way, and I certainly don't like it when you talk to me that way. And all I can say is I'm going to do my best in this next 24 hours to not talk to you in that way. Because this is a 24-hour program. I cannot tell you how I'm going to be 
in 15 minutes or next week or next month or next year. But I can do my best to invoke my higher power at this moment to be a channel of what my higher power's will is for me. And I really believe that that's at the base for me of steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, I also like that the big book adds on the list to check on your character defects of selfishness and dishonesty. I know many people who do very formal 10 steps and it starts out, they write out step three and then they write out some things and they end with step seven. And, um, um, and I have found that sometimes that's helpful for me. I think the, the one thing, and it says it, it was mentioned about step 11, the only, it says like, you know, the only way to do meditation wrong is to not to do it at all. The only way not to take personal inventory, continually taking it, is not to do it at all. So whatever I do to just get honest with myself is important because I have a bottom line. See, what happens is if I don't continually take this, this inventory and when I'm wrong, promptly admit it, I will be not planned. This won't be a planned binge. No, it will be all of a sudden. There's going to be something in my hand where my mouth will be open and it will be like here. And I'm going to say, and I'm going to wake up, I hope, and say, what the heck is this doing here? This doesn't belong here. How, how did it get to this point that something's in my hand and it's this close to my mouth? And that's why I do inventory. I have to keep myself honest and humble in the presence of God. Um, I talked about the spot check inventory. Um, I think inventories and prayer and meditation, by the way, very good to do at stoplights in the car. I, um, I'm somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. If I tried to wake up before my children, I would be up at 5 a.m. And um, I'm not good at 5. And so I find that, um, that maybe at some point in my life I will have a more formal meditation period, and I've had them in the past. Um, but that for today, if I can get five minutes, I'll take those five minutes and make them a quality five minutes. You know, I would love to be the person who could tell you I sit down for 30 minutes and it's like this ohm experience, but I really am a, a, a human doing and not a human being right now. Um, so prayer and meditation. So they, when they talk about prayer in the 12-step books, they talk about prayer as talking to God. And um, what I like in the OA book, it says, you, you know, like, yeah, in the end, in, in the step, it says praying only for knowledge of God's will for that and us and the power to carry that out. And that's, that really happens to be my bottom line prayer. Because I truly, you know, people shared already, you know, my best thinking, my best knowing got me on my knees with this disease. So I can't pretend that I know really what's best for me because apparently I, I haven't. And I can't tell you what's best for you because if I don't know what's best for me, how am I going to know what's best for you? Um, and I like that prayer is a dialogue for me. So it can be that I'm really angry at God, but I say, at least we're still talking. I'm angry, but we're still talking. You know. Um, so prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is, um, it's not, my prayer used to be, let me eat this cake and um, stay, you know, keep the weight off. You know, that was my big prayer. I still have to be thin in the morning when I wake up. And, um, you know, and that wasn't actually what I needed. I needed not to do that, and I needed to get to the bottom I had to get to so I could come into this program. Um, the serenity prayer and slogans in this program are what I use as repetitions, like I swim. And when I'm swimming, I just go through all the prayers in, in my head. And I do it with my breath. 
And I find that that is a really great way for me to get all this thinking, thinking out of my head. Because there's like, there's no thinking when I'm trying to focus on breathing and what are the words uh, of the long version of the serenity prayer. You know, it, it just keeps me focused on what I need to be focused on. And in doing that, that also becomes very meditative for me. Um, the AA 12-step book talks about the St. Francis prayer and um, using that as a guide and saying, you know, use that. You can focus on the words and the meaning and it becomes meditation. So people have already shared and you already know, I think, which is pray, uh, meditation comes in many shapes and sizes. And um, I like what it says. Um, it says meditation, the practice of meditation is is in the art of sitting still and opening our hearts to receive spiritual nourishment. Meditation offers us a way to stop running and to relax without eating. Now, I realize that is exactly why I've been afraid of meditation, to relax without eating. My version of relaxation always included food. Um, and for me, um, prayer and meditation invite um, a divine presence into my life for solutions. Um, on step 12, the multifaceted step 12. So having kind of spiritual awakening, um, I love that because when I first got to step 12, I said, I have not had a spiritual awakening. I do not know what this is talking about because I expected a spiritual awakening to look like, you know, a guru in a, like a yoga position and incense and om. And it was like, that's a spiritual awakening. And, um, and then I also have this version where it's Hollywood extravaganza and there's like this big burden bush. It's always drama. I'm a drama, drama, drama person. And um, what I found that my spiritual awakening was that my whole attitude and outlook upon life changed. And when I wrote that down, because as I was doing the step study, I realized, well, hello, that's what it says in the promises. And I didn't realize that the, the promises actually talk about a spiritual awakening. It is a spiritual awakening. And um, I, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I can actually categorize myself as somebody who has had a spiritual awakening. And the transformation that I have had may not be um, blaring to the rest of the world, but to me, it's like, I see kids who, I think I said kids because it's like, uh, I knew them from kindergarten. So I know people who I knew from kindergarten and for 18 years. And, you know, they don't actually say too much is different about me. And it's like because it's an inside job. I don't do this because you're going to say, look how wonderful you are. Look what a leader you are. Look how spiritual you are. Look how great you kept it all together. Because you might have said that to me while I was eating compulsively. I did a good job of fooling people. So it's actually not about what you say about me. It's what I know about myself and how I can live my life differently and how I've transformed. Um, the next two parts of this step talk about carrying the message and um, practicing the principles in all my affairs. And so carrying the message for me on the most basic level um, is, you know, just being up here and speaking at a convention, um, helping set up literature at a meeting, chairs, um, returning a phone call to somebody in need um, who's in this program. So there's a component, an obvious component, that says, you know, I need to help other compulsive overeaters, so I need to give back what I've been so generously given. I've heard an analogy frequently in this program um, about look at the 
you know, in Israel, the, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea has no, you know, outlets, and there nothing lives in there. The Sea of Galilee has an outlet, and look how robust and all the, the life that's in there. And that's how I do like to think about carrying the message. Um, I think that um, carrying the message ties in for practicing the principles, as I mentioned earlier, for the same reason, which is I believe... I am to be maximum service to my higher power. Like, I hope that in a day that I do, I don't know, one or two things I hope that are what God's will are for me and not Amy's will. And in doing that, I have a chance to practice this, the principles. And I'm going to say all the principles because I always like to hear them. And this is from the OA 12 and 12. Honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility. Uh-oh, eyes failing. uh Self, what is it? Self-discovery. Can't read my notes. Love, perseverance, and spiritual awareness. And um, I think that if I, you know, to live in that way is to live in a place of peace and in oneness with myself, which allows me to be of maximum service to others, which means, like, being goofy and being animated and silly and laughing and teasing with my kids. Um, and a good listener, and all of these things that I see as my higher self and my best self really is practicing the principles in all my affairs, and it is not easy. And I don't do it perfectly. And I like what it says in the program in the, in the big book. It talks about these are ideals. The ideals are perfect. We are not. And that's why I get to work the steps again and again and again, because it reminds me what the ideals are, it reminds me of what I need to do, so thank you, so that I have a chance to get closer to actually living those ideals. And I can live a life where um, that's like that it, that it is heaven right here on earth right now, that, it, that is real, and there is happy, joyous and free here, and I can be proud of myself, and I don't have to be hard on myself. Um, it is such a miracle. This program is such a miracle. It talks about in, in, um, in the AA 12 steps about when you run into, um, you know, when you run into these things, like, you know, your, your tire, you know, you have a hole in your tire or something happens, and instead of, you know, calling suicide prevention, um, you know, maybe you would can remember to call AAA. And it just reminded me, and it's what it says, is putting your spiritual condition first. And frequently when I talk about my recovery, I talk about that recovery which is, for me, you know, abstinence, my relationship with my higher power, is the most important thing in my life without exception. If I do not put it first, it falls to the bottom so fast, and then I'm living in all the places and all the ways that I just didn't want to live. And I'm just going to close. Page 124 of the AA 12 and 12. This is really a, a humble, uh, I, I just love this. It talks about true ambition. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. And it also says in the last line of the 12 and 12, joy of good living, joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12th step. So I like humbly joyful. I like it. It's a good way to live. And I'm so grateful to be abstinent and sober today. Thank you. Thank you, Amy.
Did everyone get a chance to ask a question in the basket? Okay. There's only one question. Oh, this is going to be a big question for 15 minutes. Did you ha did you want to add? Okay. <laughs> what is your most outstanding God moment found while in OA? still compulsive overeater. That's a big question. What is your most outstanding God moment found while in LA? And, you know, I think for me, um, over the last, ooh, I started a new job in September of last year, and it's not so much one moment, although I really do get the, I used to think I didn't get burning bush type God moments, you know, but I've realized that I actually do. And, and, um, and it is amazing when it does happen. And what what recently happened with me was starting this new job. It's a lot more responsibility than I'd had uh, because when when I first uh, came into recovery, I was I wasn't really employable to be honest. And then I got employable and got a job. And and then uh, after finishing my degree, started to look for a job in my field. And I had a little anxiety about it. You know, it's a lot more responsibility. Would I be able to handle it? Going on interviews, you know, and leaving these interviews and just feeling like, oh gosh. What did I, I don't remember what I said, you know. Um, and, and what I can share in my experience is really starting to, my spiritual program, stepping up, praying more, meditating more, is many times on my way to work, I drive to Oakland from um, my house in, in San Bruno, which is across the Oakland Bay Bridge, is that I would have this real sense of, like, being protected. And I just, you know, as much as I, I really felt over the last, uh, it had been um, almost, you know, two and two and a half years up until then, of having a feeling of, you know, having God in my life and really working this program, I hadn't really had this sense of truly walking with God, you know, like really all the time. And it was really something that just kept coming to me on my way to work. I'd be driving across the Bay Bridge, which for me was also kind of a scary experience because I'm not um, driving. It's kind of a little anxiety for me. I've never felt I've been a really good driver. So, But it was. It was something where one day I'm driving across the bridge, and I felt like, I really feel protected. I really feel like I could just show up with my very best and it's good enough for God. And it's okay if it's not good enough for my new boss, if it's not good enough for my husband, you know, if something happens where I lose the job, you know, but it's good enough for my higher power. If I show up and do my best and try to do the next right thing, then everything's really going to be okay. And for a lot of time in recovery, I kind of did the, you know, fake it till you make it kind of version of that. Like, if I just keep saying it, I'm going to believe it, which I think is really important, and it helped brought me to that feeling. But it, it really is an amazing experience to truly have that feeling of, he is giving me what I need to do his will for me. And if I just keep trying to see what the next right thing is, I don't need to be paralyzed while I'm waiting for this, you know, God shot, if you will, to come in. You know, I am. I know that I'm trying to do His will for me. So that's been my experience with that that God moment, and absolutely the the other one being with uh, when my mom passed and really feeling her presence in the room 
and knowing that God brought me things during that time that I needed. You know, I would have dreams, and she'd be in my dreams, and she could talk in my dreams, which she couldn't do after her accident. She had been brain damaged. And, and to have these dreams where she was there in her, like, her zipper robe. I don't know if anyone knows had the mom zipper robe. And, um, and she told me, you know what to do. And I would have to say that is absolutely a God moment because I, I just remember thinking, please, let me just talk to my mom. And I know we're not supposed to pray for what we want, you know, but it was like, well, God must have known that that's what I needed because I got it in a dream. And so that's, that's my experience with that, the best I could do anyway, thanks. I'm Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater again. That is just a, t- a question that is, there's just so much. It's not, there's not just one moment. There's, it's just my whole life for the last 30 years. It's not just one moment. Um, like I, I talked about, that first time I came in here, and, um, you know, that presence that was in the room, and that's what brought me back. Uh, I would say maybe that's, that's the, the most profound God moment. Um, but I have them all the time. And the, the, last week I was cleaning out my classroom, and we have so much stuff at the end of the year. And we're supposed to, the, the, my boss wants me to do this nutrition and, and uh, fitness program next, next year. So I had this box that said heart power. And I was going to throw it out. He said, oh, just another thing. I'm not, he doesn't know. I just throw it out, throw it out, throw it out. Well, I happened to open it, and uh, there were two stethoscopes in there. And I said, stethoscopes? Whoa! So I got the stethoscope and I put it on and it was such a spiritual moment. My heart is working. God is working. You know, you, you, when you, when, when I, you know, I don't hear these things. I'm not a doctor or anything, but you, know, you hear it and it's just quiet in there. And it's just that, that pounding that you hear, you know, and say, God, God, you really are working. Oh, I was just excited that, you know, I was sitting in my classroom, you know, with a stethoscope, and it was a spiritual experience because it was a demonstration of how God is working in my life by my heartbeat. Um, so um, it's just, you know, there's just so, so many in walking with my, with my cat and, um, you know, being a mother um, of two adults. Um, there's just so much. I, I can't say just one profound moment. But whatever kept coming, what, whatever kept, continues to make me keep coming back, all those moments are profound. Amy, you want to take a shot at this? So I was thinking also, I don't think I can say most outstanding, but I will say that when I came into program, I was 19, and I did this, you know, um, very, I was very, very close with my parents, and um, they all felt I was joining a cult, and subsequently all my families in 12-step programs. But um, as a 19-year-old in college, to walk into uh, New York City, a room of Overeaters Anonymous, um, and stay, um, was a, a huge God moment. I didn't know it then, but when I see newcomers, I always say, you know, the, to have gotten yourself into a place where you can actually walk into Overeaters Anonymous, walk into a meeting, you know, that's, that's a real miracle. I mean, that's just a whole change in thinking. That is a whole different place of admission 
about um, about this disease, not even knowing at that time that I had a disease, but just that I had a moral issue. Um, another time, I, I was also somebody who went into treatment, and um, and I was 24 years old when I went to treatment, and I was the person who asked, uh, went to my therapist and said, you know, I think this is, I think this is what I need to do next, and I believe that those moments. I mean, how how the heck would I know? You know, I really feel like those moments were God moments that sent me in the direction that I needed to go um, to save my life because I am pretty I am absolutely convinced had I not walked into OA I would be dead, and if I hadn't gone to treatment to deal with that I needed to deal with in an intense environment um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have made it through this program I wouldn't have survived. Um, I'm also a mother and I think. I, I can't even that that miracle for me as a compulsive overeater who was not capable of having intimate relationships with anybody. It was just my food, my cat, my television set. Um, to never thinking I was ever going to be a mother, let alone you know ever in a relationship, um, and to actually have um, gotten to a place where I like I didn't know if my body worked. I had done so much damage to my body. I wasn't sure I could ever real, even carry a child because I was also bulimic. I thought for sure I don't. I just I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I really feel like um, um, my higher power um, was completely working in my life there because as just as a parent, my my recovery has never been put to the test as much as it has uh, being a mother and um, and the healing that I've experienced in having children. Is beyond. I just the really the wreckage of my past is just the wreckage of my past is where it is. I have really, really healed in in, in that process for me. Now we will have a three minute share. Please limit your shares to three minutes and please stick to the topic. Please be sure to have signed the tape release when you come up. Hello, my name is Donna. I'm a compulsive reader. I'm also your timer, so I'll do the best at timing myself. I'm pretty good at multitasking. Um, first, I wanted to say a longer version of the Serenity Prayer that probably a lot of you have seen, but I really haven't heard it out there. Um, I used to carry it at work. I have a badge that I wear at work with my name on it, and I turned it over, and I memorized it, and it means a lot to me. I felt that I've made a lot of incredible spiritual process being in OA, a lot of emotional growing up. I still have some more weight to let go of, and I've lost about 60 pounds. I've been in the program for three years, and I've been abstinent for um, all that. I came abstinent my first month after I had been here. And so, like I said, I still have some more weight loss I feel to go, but when the time is right, I will. But spiritually, I've made so much progress that I just owe so much to everybody in this program, and I wanted to express some of that. And the long version I've heard of the Serenity Prayer is, I'm hoping I can say it without <laughs> losing my train here, 
God grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he would make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And I just, that brings so much to me. Because before I came here, I think my life was about um, what was good for Donna, what Donna wanted. And yes, Donna wanted to eat a lot of food and not gain any weight. <laughs> and now that I've been in the program, um, I still would like to eat a lot of food and <laughs> I guess lose a lot of weight. But it's not at all about the food anymore. In fact, what I really feel every day when I wake up is what I can give back to the world. I go to work and I try to make it a happier place because I feel there's a lot of pain in this world. I mean, there's a lot of pain in these rooms, and we're all suffering. And I want to be able to go out there now, and it's not about how Donna can have a good day or anything. It's being able to not cause any more pain and, you know, hand out a smile to people that I work with and to customers that come in and just to give back to the whole world because I've been giving a whole other chance to life. In fact, my favorite little mantra for myself is I used to trade my life for food. Now I trade food for my life. And that's what Ode has given to me. So thank you. Okay. Um, I guess it's, uh, no one else wants to share. It's your last chance. Okay. It's time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers. everyone who shared. Thank you. Um, please stand and join hands and we'll say the OA promise I put my hand in yours. <laughs>